Hello, everyone, and welcome into another edition of Coach Time on the Believe Network. I'm your host, John Lyons, and today I am very lucky to be talking with Cam Rogers. You've probably heard him on the Believe Network. You may have even seen him on the Today Show. Cam is a betting expert, but he gives a lot more sports takes than just that. Cam, thank you for taking the time. Welcome in. What's up, John? Good to be with you, sir. I believe you are in New England yourself. I am actually there right now. Okay, yeah, and the reason you're there... Get that high school reunion going on. It's it's nice to be up up here this time of the year. I don't know if you would have wanted the reunion in February, but yeah, totally. In like thirty degrees, the weather's been great up here though the last maybe five days or so. So yeah, perfect. I probably not as good as that stuff out in California, which I'm sure you'll be getting back to pretty <laughs> soon. And Cam, for those that don't know, as I mentioned earlier, you are what we would call a sports gambling expert. Your show is built around it. You have a lot of content on that, and one of the biggest sports wagering events of the calendar year is the Kentucky Derby, which just finished. And we had Mage at a 15 to one odds win the race. I wanted to get your thoughts on Forte being scratched before the race itself and just kind of overall what you saw in the Kentucky Derby. Well, I think it's fair to say it was a bizarre week at Churchill Downs when you have seven horse deaths that put really a cloud over yeah. the weekend there. A lot of uncertainty about how these horses are treated a lot of times. And you see the proof in the pudding a little bit there with seven horse passing, seven horses passing away and then a ton of scratches. I mean, there hadn't been that many scratches since 1936. So that creates a lot of volatility, of course, when you're handicapping the Kentucky Derby. And I was releasing videos and then like 12 hours later, they'd be outdated because that horse got scratched. Right. Practical move was my pick to win originally. And he got scratched. And then I shifted to Forte. He got scratched. So it was like this wild goose chase of trying to find somebody who can actually win this thing. And of course, we got Mage uh, taking it down there. I did get second place and third place correct, though, in my final pr uh, predictions to Phil's and Angel of Empire. I thought it was a really interesting Kentucky Derby, considering the volatility and the randomness that we had with the scratches and, you know, the off the track headlines, if you will. Mage wasn't even in winning position to start, but then made a late surge, which really hasn't been a theme at the Kentucky Derby of late. I'd say the last eight years or so, it's mostly been tactical speed, meaning you are middle to close to the front of the pack. Typically a closer, at least lately, hasn't won here at Churchill Downs, but we had that with Mage. Yeah, and it was really interesting. You mentioned really wasn't in winning position. Two fills, I thought, down the stretch was yeah. going to win. Mage makes the big run. And it's one of those things. I mentioned the 15 to 1 odds, and you met seven horse deaths. We had scratches across the board. When you approach a situation like that, I mean, I know you obviously wagered on it. You got your second and third correct. I mean, how do you approach something with that amount of volatility? Is it just really digging deep to try to find out about some of these horses and jockeys past even, or like, I feel like that's a really unique situation. I'm a big fan of trends and I use trends to whittle down the field. And I actually use this process a lot in golf. Golf is my number one sport, of course. And that's a field of 156 players. Luckily, in horse racing, it's between, you know, 10 and 20. So you can really narrow down your player pool if you want. So the things I look at, past performance charts, horse stats, how they've played before in similar style of tracks, speed figures. The buyer speed figure is huge for me. The trends were 
extremely strong in terms of a horse having a maximum buyer speed figure of 100 or higher that actually wins the Kentucky Derby, right? So two fills was one of those horses at 100 or higher. And that's why I thought he had a good chance, of course, at winning. I had him at second, but that is neither here nor there. Buyer speed figure is very strong. Performance on certain tracks. I talked about, you know, the track at Churchill Downs is different than, say, a synthetic track. You've got horse pedigree, the lineage of that horse, past performances from their parents, if you will. And then, of course, post position. I put a lot of stock in post position, especially at the Kentucky Derby, because historically, Post positions one through five have been difficult spots to start at because you have a lot of traffic there. You're dealing with the railing and things can kind of get muddied up. Post positions, I'd say between eight and 13 seemingly are the sweet spot. So I really did whittle down the field there as well using those post positions. So put it all together and then I think you can maximize a profitable week if you can kind of cross off the horses that maybe don't check, I'd say, 80 to 90% of those boxes. That's some great insight. And we have the Preakness coming up. Now, I know we're 10 days away, but have you started looking into some of those trends? Do you have some things you like? And can you compare, for those that don't know, the differences and similarities between the Preakness and the Kentucky Derby? Yeah, they are actually fairly similar, which is probably a good thing for handicappers out there. Now, the field won't be announced until May 15th, but we do know that Mage and Forte, assuming Forte is healthy, will be racing in the Preakness. They both are projected to be 3-2-1. Mage doesn't really scream a triple crown winner to me. I think Forte rightfully should be the favorite alone. Past winners of the Preakness Stakes, same vibe with the Kentucky Derby, John. Set or stalked the pace during the race. Not a lot of come from behind victories. So I think we're going to have a theme there as we watch this race unfold. I would expect Forte to win, again, considering he is healthy. And he'll have the benefit, too, of not racing the Kentucky Derby. It's that whole momentum versus rust versus sure. rest factor. I think the rest will be a big factor here for Forte. And if the field is only nine horses, which it could be, I think there's also less concern about post position because the field is not as expanded, not as much more room to maneuver. Correct. Yeah. And do you put any stock into the fact that Forte has beaten mage twice so far in their career had to like, does I know it's different tracks, but does that matter at all? It matters a lot, and you hate to eat that price, too, at 3-1. to one. Obviously, a $10 bet would only get you 30 bucks in profit, but if he's going to win and you feel good about it and he checks all the boxes, it's only nine horses, John, as of right now, so like you would feel good about that. So, yeah, I think the pedigree is there for Forte. He checked a lot of boxes for me, obviously, going into the Kentucky Derby. Keep an eye on him, of course, at the Preakness and – if you want, you can lay some juice and just pick him to finish top five, top three, and could be free money there. You mentioned earlier that golf is actually your biggest sport. We had some big news today about Tiger Woods, and mm. you were on the Today Show actually talking about him last month. I want to get your thoughts. Tiger Woods' future here in golf, and I know he's the biggest star and everyone comes to see him, but 
since that car accident, he's been slowly working his way back. He hasn't really fully got back. What do you see as Tiger Woods' future in the short term for this golf season? But also, do you have any projections for the long term as well? Yeah, so let's talk about the immediate right now. No PGA Championship, likely no U.S. Open in June, too. There is an outside chance, outside, that he plays the British Open in late July. I don't think that happens. The medical community is kind of on the same page here that he won't be good to go to play golf until the fall. And then at that point, what's the point? It's just smaller field events and all that on the PGA Tour. So you might as well wait until the Masters in 2024. So if he were to sit me down and ask me, what should I do? I would tell him, listen, hang him up the rest of the year at the very best, at the very worst as a fan, maybe time to sort of set it aside and focus more on staying as healthy as you can so that you can play with your kids, do the mundane things in life, because this is getting serious. I mean, we all saw him at the Masters on that Saturday in the cold and rain. The guy was in clear pain. And from what I understand, what happened was the screw in his ankle was starting to pierce his skin or something along those lines. It was kind of coming out of place. And that can happen with those sort of injuries when you're walking a hilly golf course like Augusta National. So I am very bearish at this juncture as far as A, Tiger Woods catching Jack Nicholas, B, winning again on the PGA Tour, and C, playing again on the PGA Tour. Now, He is the ultimate competitor. He's built different. He's like MJ and Brady. But there comes a time for choosing in these sort of scenarios. And he needs to choose, do I want to wear my body down finishing tied for 30th every single time at a major or missing a cut or decide to go, I need to stay healthy for my kids. There is a lot of life left for me he's a middle-aged guy yeah so he's gonna have to make a decision pretty darn soon if i had to guess he probably won't play the rest of the year yeah and it's funny because a guy like tiger woods and i compare it to serena williams too when people are elite athletes for so Mm -hmm. long they almost get used to being an elite elite athlete and nothing else and then when it comes a time where physically They either can't be the elite athlete or they have to pay such a high price throughout the rest of their lives. You're right. That's when the decision comes. And we've seen just in the last few years, Serena Williams take a step back, Tom Brady take a step back. So we've seen these athletes start to do that of that generation. And maybe Tiger Woods is the next one to do it. And it's funny because I remember a time not that long ago where if you were going to bet on a PGA event, you might bet Tiger versus the field. Or vice versa. And that's how dominant he was. So I have to ask you now him not being in the PGA does. I know it doesn't have that level of impact, but is there an impact? I know the name recognition, but from a gambling perspective, is there much of an impact for a guy who really hasn't been a threat to win major tournaments in a while? Yeah, certainly no as far as the outright market is concerned, right? The public loves to bet on Tiger at every single major championship. He's like 40 to one who is what is just like a ridiculous number. He should be 150 to one. He just can't win a major championship right now. And I always tell people, please don't bet on Tiger to win. You're just throwing money out an airplane. If you want to bet on him to make the cut at the Masters, totally understand that. He did that, of course, this year. So I don't think it'll affect much as far as shifting the market is concerned. I am concerned, though, about viewership as we enter the PGA Championship next week and then the U.S. Open in June and the British Open at Royal Liverpool 
Tiger Woods is the needle in the game. He doesn't move the needle. He is the needle, and it's not even close. So I am sad that likely we won't see him the rest of the year, and that will sort of bring about more so of the live golf versus PGA Tour golf debate. Will people flock to live if Tiger won't play the major championships? We shall see. You know, the numbers don't really bear out that live is much of a threat. But again, we'll see as we go forward. Yeah, I think, you know, for Tiger, he's just fun to bet on for the public. But in terms of making any change to the numbers or anything along those lines, I don't think so. I want to shift gears now to the NBA. And it's been a very interesting playoff run. And we've seen some major movement now. If you look at who's favored to win the title last night, according to Caesars, you had the Lakers in second at plus 325. I know there's been some fluid movement since that Denver Phoenix game ended. When you look at the Lakers, I want to start there because this is a team that they came in as a seven seed. I personally was not shocked they beat Memphis. I thought they were better than Memphis. I thought Memphis, especially since those John Moran issues during the year, just didn't have it. I know that's not an analytical phrase, but they just didn't have it. When you look at the Lakers, A, do you see them getting past the Warriors? They're up 3-1. But in a longer-term view, let's say they do, do you like that plus 325 number? Do you like them to win the NBA title? Where were you at on the Lakers, gambling and non-gambling? Yeah, you know, the Lakers kind of can be that Tiger Woods of the NBA field because the public loves to bet on LeBron James and the Lakers, of course, two very big brand names. Now, seemingly everybody forgets how bad they looked at many points during the regular season. And you mean to tell me if they run into Denver that they can get past Denver? And I think Denver is going to end up winning this series. I know Phoenix is making a nice little run right now, but I think Denver goes goes ahead and uh, gets this thing done, meaning I think they will steamroll the L.A. Lakers too. I don't think the Warriors are really much of a threat, honestly, were a threat going into the NBA playoffs in general and certainly aren't at this juncture. So I don't see any value, in my opinion, with the Lakers going deep, deep, deep. I actually like the Eastern Conference side and the value there. The Sixers are a very interesting team. And what they did to the Celtics last night in Boston, in the TD Garden, John, that was unprecedented, at least in my... Yeah. I mean, the number was plus seven and a half. And the Sixers won outright decidedly. So that's a team to keep an eye on as far as the futures market is concerned to perhaps win the title, certainly win the Eastern Conference, I think the track is like the last seven or so years. There's been a different Eastern Conference champion, maybe the Sixers this year. Yeah, and the funny thing about the Sixers, and I would say this about the Celtics too, and this is no disrespect to Miami, but I think the winner of this series ultimately goes to the NBA Finals. I think they have a little – and Miami's a great team. They're going to push whoever plays, much like they did to Boston last year. I just don't see Miami having the horses, especially with Tyler Hero out, to beat a Boston in a seven-game series, to beat a Philly in a seven-game series. What concerns me about Philly is, look, Embiid's the MVP. He's a superstar. The volatility of James Harden. I mean, you look game one, he has 42 or 45 points. Excuse me, they win. Game four, he has 42, hits the big three. But then games two and three disappeared. And I wouldn't be shocked if in game six and seven, he disappears too. And then as great as Embiid is, the Celtics had arguably their worst offensive game of the year in game five. They shot less than 30% from three. They shot terrible from the field. They were even bad from the free throw line. I don't see that happening again. And, and yes, it feels like there's something off with the Celtics, but 
I still think they're going to play a lot better in game six than they did in game five. And I think the, the thing that gives me pause with Philly is James Harden. And are you going to get that 40-point guy once more in this series? Or are you going to get a couple games of one for 12 or two for 10 shooting that you got in games two and three, and then it ultimately costs Philly the series? So I see what you're saying on Philly, and I'm not uh, – look, you see the picture behind me. I'm obviously a Celtics fan. I'm not even 100% sold on the Celtics at, at this point because they've been so inconsistent. I, I mean, what have you – from the Celt- looking at the Celtics and the Sixers, I, I know you mentioned Philly already – when you project the next two games, potentially only one game of this series, do you see Boston being able to bounce back and win? Or do you think that Philly is just playing at such a higher level right now and everyone underestimated them? So let me say this from a betting perspective. I would bet right now on the Sixers winning this series because if you look at the trends, if you win game five, and the series, of course, is you know even at that point, you win yep. game five, you get a game lead. That team goes on to win the series over 80% of the time. So I'm with you. I think Boston does win game six. We do go to seven, but I think Philly wins game seven because it's that whole James Harden situation, right? I think he will disappear a little bit here in game six. Maybe it's an energy sort of situation. His battery sort of just drains out and then, you know, he needs to recharge. I don't know. That's on the coaches to figure out. But I will say this, too, about Boston. It seems like they don't have this clutch gene. And when I first heard that, I was like, okay, what does that even mean? How do you quantify that? But now I'm starting to see it unfold here. And that's on the coaching. But I also think it's too late to sort of figure that out, too. So I think, you know, they're too talented to lose game six. They'll win game six. Uh, I'll be interested to see what the line is. I haven't looked at it, but then I think Philly does win game seven and the Sixers move on. I the only line I've seen so far is Boston minus one and a half for game okay. six, which I, I'd be all over any Cause I agree with yeah. you. I think the Celtics are going to win outright. And I think it'd be by more than one and a half. So yeah, it's just interesting. You mentioned that clutch gene. I mean, this has been a problem. You go back to last season's playoff run. I mean, they right. game five against Milwaukee, they had a lead in the fourth quarter and lost. Game six against Miami, lead in the fourth quarter and lost. Game seven against Miami, they had a 13-point lead with three minutes to go and almost lost. And, of course, game four against Golden State, they had a lead with five minutes to go, chance to go up 3-1 in the series, eerily similar to game four of this series where they had a lead in game four with a chance to go up 3-1 on Philly, and they don't win. So it's just it's the thing about the Celtics is I think they're talented enough to win an NBA championship. And I think when they're playing at their best, they're better than everyone else in the NBA. The problem is we don't see that best nearly enough. And you mentioned the clutch gene thing. I think that's so important for them in that even if they get by Philly, well, is it going to bite them against a Denver or a Phoenix or a Lakers in the NBA finals, much like it did against golden state? Because yeah, I think they could beat Miami, but you get to one of those big dogs in the West and you can't close out games, you're not going to win the finals. And we saw it last year. And speaking of those big dogs in the West, you mentioned, you know, is LA really going to beat Denver in a conference finals? And I think it's a great point because I agree. I think Denver is going to win this series. I thought Denver in October was going to go to the NBA finals. I still feel that way. When you look at Denver going forward, do you look at them as a team that, you have as a, a favorite to win the NBA championship? Do you think they will get there and lose? Do you think it's matchup dependent? Because they got a lot of pieces there. 
but they also haven't really been there before. So I'm curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, they have some fantastic pieces, of course. One major piece being Jokic right now. What is concerning me a little bit about Denver is that you've had some really good shooting performances from Phoenix. Obviously, Devin Booker is yeah. just a man possessed right now. He's absolutely fantastic. Averaging 36 points for the series. Yeah. Incredible. If you run into a superstar like that in the NBA finals or in the next round, can you mitigate that? Can you mitigate Anthony Davis and not give the Lakers ultra confidence? Because I think if Denver and the Lakers meet in the next round, which I think is going to happen, the Lakers will be happy to be there. The Nuggets will have the pressure and you can't give the Lakers game one or even game two and allow for confidence to creep in because that can change the dynamic of a team. So I think the concern with Denver is sometimes the defense, but also the depth after Jokic in those games that Denver has lost to Phoenix. It's been Jokic and nobody else. The bench has to step up and typically the bench will step up more so at home. So that's why you had Denver winning and covering of course last night. But those would be my concerns with the Nuggets. We'll see if any of them come to fruition in the next round or even if they advance. So, Yeah, and you make a great point about the Lakers early in the series, not wanting them to get game one or two. And I think that's a big reason why they're up 3-1 on Golden State. Golden State had that tough seven-game series against Sacramento. Two days after game seven, they're playing game one against the rested Lakers team. And I thought the Lakers had to take advantage. And look, I think the Lakers are a tough matchup for Golden State anyway. Golden State's not the team it was a year ago. But still, I thought the Lakers, with their age, with their injuries, or injury history, had to take advantage early in that series, and they have. And I think that's where, if they're going to trip up Denver, that's where it's going to happen. Your point about the bench is so true. I mean, Jokic had 53 points in game four and their bench got smoked and they lost. I mean, What else can he do? <laughs> I know, it, really. And last thing I want to get to here with you, Cam, and I appreciate you taking the time, is when you look overall at the NBA picture here, okay, we have Boston and Philly, we have Denver and Phoenix, we have, of course, LA and Golden State and Miami in the Knicks. We haven't talked at all about Miami or the Knicks. And I assume Miami's probably going to win that series. Do you see any scenario where Miami could get to the NBA Finals, could ultimately win the NBA Finals, and really surprise us all? I really don't. And honestly, I think this next Miami Heat series is irrelevant. Whatever happens on that end of the bracket, I don't think has any bearing on who actually makes it to the NBA Finals, right? Because the Knicks have shown they are inconsistent. I think they win, by the way, tonight and cover. So go ahead and bet on that. The Heat have Jimmy Butler. But what if Jimmy Butler doesn't go Jimmy Buckets for a couple of games? Who steps up then? Obviously, you mentioned the injury issues with Miami, too. So... I think this series is fun. I like defensive basketball, and when I can get it in the NBA, I will enjoy it, and we're getting that with Miami and the Knicks. But I just don't think this series really has any bearing on the proceedings the rest of the way. Miami has overachieved, I would say, this season, and the Knicks have too. So, you know, they're both happy to be there. One of them's going to advance, and then they'll have to deal with Philly or Boston, and that will not be an easy track. Sorry, Miami fans yeah. for that one. Yeah, sorry. So he is Cam Rogers. Cam, why don't you tell the people where they can find your work? Good to be with you, sir. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Cam Rogers Live. All right. He is Cam Rogers. Cam, thank you very much for taking the time. We'll have to do this again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Big thank you to Cam Rogers for joining us. Please stay tuned here on Coach Time for a quick word from our sponsors. Thank you to our sponsors for that quick word. And again, thank you to Cam Rogers for joining us on the show. I want to close the show here last few minutes by talking about the Boston Celtics and what they need to do in order to win an NBA championship. And you might think, why am I talking about an NBA championship when they're down 3-2 and they looked awful in Game 5 of their series against Philadelphia? And the thing is, is look, if they're going to win a championship, they need to have a good first 12 minutes in Game 6. And I know the Celtics have had a bunch of trouble closing out games. I get it. But we've seen in Game 4, Jason Tatum started, what, 0 for 8? And then in Game 5, he started 0 for 7? And the team feeds off him, so he needs to be better early on. But then we've seen Jalen Brown start off hot and then fade. What they need is collectively as a group to start fast together so they're not playing from behind, which we saw them do in game one. We saw them do in game four. We saw them do in game five. They get out to these poor starts, and they're playing from behind. And I know the Boston Celtics need to be better down the stretch executing, but I think in game six, it's so important. I think those first 12 minutes to this point are the most important 12 minutes of their season because not only do they need to get off on a hot start in general so they're not playing from behind, I think mentally right now and emotionally, the Celtics are kind of on an edge because they played so poorly in game five. And to lose game four at the end the way they did right before that, if they come out playing bad and they're, Tatum's missing shots, Brogdon's missing shots, Derek White, who's been really a non-factor so far in this series, is missing shots, and Al Horford, who didn't have a single point in Game 5, if he's missing shots, if they come out flat or they come out missing shots, I think it's going to get in their head, and I think it's going to make it that much harder for them to win. And frankly, I think if they have a bad first quarter or they're trailing at halftime, I don't think they win that Game 6 against Philly. And, I, and the sad thing is, I think if they were to win Game 6, they could win game seven at home, and I think they'd win the Eastern Conference Finals and go to the NBA Finals. I think they're better than Miami. They're better than the Knicks. I'm not saying those series would be easy, but I think they'd win them. So this first 12 minutes could really determine whether or not they go to the NBA Finals because I think if they win game six, they win game seven, boom, they're in the East Finals. I think they win the East Finals. They play poorly in the first 12 minutes. I don't think they win, and I think their series and their season is done after six games in the second round, which – we talked about a Bruins collapse last week. This would be not quite that bad because they didn't have the best regular season ever and they didn't have a 3-1 lead in the series, but it would be close considering this is a team that went to the NBA Finals last year. They started out 20-5. and They had the second-best record in the NBA, and for them to finish off this way would be, again, not quite as big a disappointment as the Bruins, but pretty damn close and be tough for me to take as well. So keep your eye on Boston in the first 12 minutes of the game on Thursday night. If they have a good first 12 minutes, I think they win, and I think it helps propel them ultimately to going to the NBA Finals. They have a bad first 12 minutes. I think their season might be over by the end of the night on Thursday. That's it for Coach Time today. I'm John Lyons. Happy to be with you as always. Please tune in to our next episode next week. Hopefully I'm talking about a Celtics series win, but either way, I'll be here. I hope you tune in. Hope you download. Have a great day.